today's episode of Rise, Grind, Repeat, we talked to Justin from Justin Michael Consulting. We discussed the right ways the B2B companies should be doing their cold outreach. Dive right in. Justin, thank you so much for uh, being on another episode of Rise, Grind, Repeat. I'm uh, I'm excited just doing a little bit of, um, you know, looking at what you're all about. We're kind of going through the process on uh, building out our, our B2B efforts, our sales and biz dev uh, department. And uh, I'm sure we'll get a, get a few tips um, from you. But before we get, you know, nerd out too much on, on that front, we'd love to just kind of learn more about who you are, a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I'm Justin Michael, and I'm somewhat of a futurist and an author, um, a coach, and a trainer. Um, I did sales for 20 years and worked for companies like Salesforce and LinkedIn, but a lot of small startup companies that no one's ever heard of and then advised probably 100 startups. And I've really focused my career on the top of the funnel, outbound business development, cold calling, cold emailing, and tech stacks. So I've written a book about technology quotient or TQ, which is distinct from IQ and EQ because what I found is it's the ability to understand these modern technology systems that gave me an edge in companies. So, you know, if two sellers are going out of market and one's using traditional, you know, just calls and emails and another masters these modern uh, systems, it really is a tremendous edge. I mean, you can send, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of emails and maintain quality and personalization at scale. And so it's kind of, you know, a really unique element to my work and my writing is I've kind of become known for sales automation and this new field of revenue operations. Yeah. So I live in uh, Santa Barbara, California and, um, B2B is my life. I do a lot of podcasting and blogging and writing, and I have a a kind of a society called salesborgs.ai. It's a discord server with 1500 people in it. And we go in there and we tear down, we tear down emails and we do cold calling. And, uh, yeah, I just recently hosted a cold call competition at revenuegarage.com. If you want to check that one out. <laughs> no, de- definitely will. And, uh, not love, love everything you're saying. I mean, we've been working hard. I mean, over the last six, seven months, just putting a lot more focus on the biz dev efforts. And I mean, we've switched different technologies, but trying to balance uh, personalization with scale. And we went, down the route of super personal and can only send out a few emails a day down to no personalization, sending out a ton and kind of finding some uh, happy medium grounds. But I do love that, uh, you know, you mentioned the top of funnel and and that's something that, that we love as a marketing agency, really the brand awareness side. But from a sales perspective, I guess, what does that look like or what does that mean? Um, you know, top of funnel from a sales perspective. The expression that I love is opening is the new closing, which I took from Anthony Iannarino. It's become very difficult, especially in the Fortune 1000, even to get a meeting. And it's because with the explosion of the automation tech, the C-level executives and decision makers who hold the P&L are getting buffeted, like 250 emails per day. So it becomes challenging to even get the meeting. And because there's so much uh, information on the internet available, People can do a lot of research. Like, I don't know, there's the CEB study that buyers are 57% through the buying cycle. So it becomes an art form to be able to predictably generate meetings and generate opportunities. Not to say it's not hard to close a deal and to negotiate, but you find there's weak and anemic pipelines, especially post-pandemic. Everyone's sitting at home sending, you know, blitzing emails, sending a ton of messages on LinkedIn. And, uh, you know, the, frankly, not enough people are cold calling. So there's an edge 
for me, if you manually send emails and you manually make phone calls, it's very much a dark ages mentality. Everything I'm doing is, you know, calling four phone numbers at a time. So 200 dials in an hour using systems like connect and sell parallel assisted dialing or systems like, you know, outreach, sales loft, groove, Xant, Ring DNA, it goes on and on, which is a sales engagement platform, the ability to pre-program your email touches and customize them per persona. So I think that opening is a very hard problem. It doesn't mean that you don't have to be great at asking questions, doing discovery, and really be trained on the whole sport. I'm a big proponent of, of training people on sales and taking young people through the entire funnel, not just relegating them to pure sales development rep or SDR work. But I've really carved my brand on the top of the funnel problem uh, because of the unique, acute nature of you know how painful it is. I mean, nine out of ten companies I meet with, they don't have enough opportunities, they don't have enough business, and their sales team does not have enough meetings every week. They're selling about thirty six percent of the time, forty percent of the time. I mean, everything you're mentioning again is is uh, we've kind of kind of felt it going through our our own uh, evolution of of trying to build our our biz dev efforts, and I mean. We've gone from, what is it? Is it a phone call, email? How soon after do you uh, leave a uh, you know voicemail drop? Whatever it is, really trying to identify what that cadence is. And I think uh, you know we have a couple B two B companies as well, and and you know we work in the marketing side, but always interested to hear what they're doing from a biz dev um, perspective. And that's what they're always struggling with. What type of email do we send on that first touch point? How how long after do we send the next one? Um, I guess without giving your secret sauce away, I mean, is do you have any insights into maybe get some companies thinking a different way on what that that uh, timeline looks like in between communications? What is is the best form of communication or is it a combination of, of all forms of communication? Yeah. So I've been pretty open source with my techniques. I've put out guides, I put them on Reddit. So I really don't have any secret sauce. Um, I guess certain people want to make this intellectual property, <laughs> but um, you know, there's some popular systems from the Agoji sequence um, uh, over at outreach to um, things like, you know, Josh Braun and Beck Holland, my sequences have been more assertive. I tend to, I was a, a case study in a book called combo prospecting, comboprospecting.com. And what I've found is having very tight interactions in the first 24 hours is very powerful. So I'll send an email day one, leave a voicemail, um, link, connect on LinkedIn, send a tweet. So I'll do like a lot very quickly, which I call a cluster. It creates like a bee swarm effect. So it's very assertive in the first 24 hours. To me, I like to be very overt that I'm a business to business seller contacting you. Um, because that, that to me, I just think is more, I don't know, it's more transparent. You know, I don't want people to think that I'm actually doing marketing and trying to sneak into their inbox. Yeah. So Sam Nelson, he has blue hair. He did the Agoji at uh, outreach. So my sequences tend to follow very unique geometries. Um, an email that is three sentences is processed in, within 3.3 seconds by the brain. The longer marketing emails we send is 13.3 seconds. I also one of the first people ever to do visual prospecting, like really focus on it. And it's very hard to get visuals like screenshots and PNGs and, and GIFs because it goes to spam. So I usually do like a first touch that's very short, just a few sentences, a second one that says thoughts, and then a third that has a Venn diagram or something that looks more like product marketing. And that focus on visuals is because visuals are processed 60,000 times faster by the brain. And there's a 90% higher retention rate by the brain than just pure text. And then I have a series of, you know, complimentary phone techniques, the way I leave voice messages, do video 
prospecting, voicemail drops on LinkedIn. I'm doing a lot with multimedia, with WhatsApp, with text messaging, different uh, B2C platforms you normally wouldn't see in a sales cycle. So the main thing is it's hyper short. If you just think about the way that you work as a human being with all the people you care about, on big decisions, you don't send your significant other a three paragraph explanation. You send a text, right? You got WhatsApp, you got Instagram, you got Facebook Messenger, um, text messaging. And so, you know, I think I was one of the first people to start a system where I'm using a sequencer and I'm building these cadences that look like text messages and they look human. And they're just these short form sentences and very, you know, conversational and then using imagery. Um, this, this is just not what you normally see. You normally see these bigger templates and each paragraph has a description and the persuade a certain psychology, like, Oh, here's an FD, FBI hostage negotiation. Here's a reverse psychology. And you're doing all this stuff. And the problem is a process because no time and these bigger emails, it's like a heavy lift. So all they can do is start it. And the problem is all the personalization that's being used. It's like, what's the catch? So I'm all about relevance at scale versus personalization at scale, which is also very unique. Relevance to me means what is the work pain? What is the business challenge? What is the work-related personalization? So relevance is a flavor of personalization. When all these technology companies started, LinkedIn had this amazing thing where it's like, oh, we can see the common connection, or I can see that you love hiking. And so everyone used that almost like a gimmick, and the prospects are literally, they're completely desensitized by that. It's like they're not impressed that you know their sports team. It doesn't matter anymore. You know, they, they're kind of like, don't waste my time. Like, what is your solution? What can it actually do for me? Make money, save money, reduce risk, satisfy regulation. Like, why are you contacting me? Tell me what's going on. So I'm super blunt, super concise. And the simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. So that's in a nutshell. Um, and then I'm also really a huge fan of emotional re- re- uh, resonance because I, no one can really buy anything. You know, people love to buy. They hate to be sold. They, they buy on emotion for rational emotional reasons. Do they like you for some reason, their gut? And then they, they close on the logic. So a lot of the messaging now is, well, geez, I, I have a same client here that's exactly like your company and they made 117% ROI. Well, the problem is that's a very logical left brain sort of thing. That doesn't, it's not actually why anyone buys anything. People don't buy Tesla because of the, the logic of the drivetrain and how efficient the battery is. It's because it, it's emotional. Like they're inspired by Elon Musk. They, it's, it's like a, they feel like a superhero. So for me, it's about pain. It's about fear. You can't get people to change by attracting them to these numbers, you know, and these claims. It's more like, my emails get super high open rates between 60 and 80% because they're so short. They get through the spam filter and then to convert them is all about, you know, poking the wound and then bandaging it, which is an expression I got from Scott Britton from troops.ai. He did a cold emailing class on Udemy that was downloaded 16,000 times. Focusing on emotion creates a polarity shift. And then with my cold call frameworks, what's really crazy is the prospect is talking 95% of the time. Every other cold call framework is you interrupt and then say the reason I'm calling. Interrupt, talk about the seller. My framework is interrupt, get the seller talking, get the buyer talking about the buyer. And so I have this really crazy set of pattern interrupts for cold calls that's never been done in 20 years. It's like three completely backward things that you do, like goofy foot. And it, it hasn't even been tested by Gong because it doesn't exist anywhere. So, so, so my phone techniques have been really radical, but the problem is you can't get anyone on the phone. As you know, you call 100 people at Fortune 1000, you get two executive assistants and it's all voicemail. So the combo prospecting techniques is a dovetail of the type of voicemail that links to get a 3x email rate. If you're using Connect and Sell or a parallel assisted dialer, 
a weapon of mass conversations. Now you're going to connect with 20 people live in an hour. Now we've got a shot with the live fire to start experimenting with different power shifts, you know, and the person asking the questions, much like spin selling is actually in control of the call. If the seller is talking, they're out of control. doesn't matter how many downtones, how loud, if you're in a suit, you're standing up. This is all a fable. It's a myth. Confidence has nothing to do with the phone. The phone is all about how you're asking these very specific types of questions that are getting the person to open up. When they're talking, they're being disarmed and you're lowering friction. And then they can turn and go, wait, what's your solution? And so the, the whole key to both these systems is you're peaking interest and in creating desire. It's pull. You're not convincing and persuading. You're igniting interest in the prospects of it's their idea to become interested in you. And that's how I think my stuff is very, very radical, almost like jujitsu. <laughs> no, I love it. Lots of, lots that you said that definitely in line with, I mean, we, we have a copywriter and, and, uh, really he's big on pain, gain transformation. And, and before, and we were trying to do the personalization, the, I see you went to this school. I see you like this post and really trying to lean into that type of personalization, but realizing it, it wasn't picking up traction. And when we went more towards, here's your problem, here's our solution. Here's how we can essentially help, help, uh, get you onboarded and really just changing some of the messaging, seeing a bit more, more traction. But I think one thing that you said that really sticks out is, you know, whenever you're trying to make a decision with your significant other, you're not writing a huge paragraph. And I think getting into, the recipient's mind and really who they are, um, I think is a big thing. And, and one thing that we've gone to is more of that pain gain transformation, but trying to, trying to also allude to the personalization and where we're going with that is whatever industry we're going after the different, I guess, job titles that we're reaching out is going to have a different uh, problem in their day to day and really trying to speak to that. So I guess, how do you kind of go about leaning into that somewhat personalization where here's the problem, knowing or understanding the industry or business, tying in that personalization, but also keeping scalability. So it's really weird. Like these other systems, you write these beautiful emails and you get a response like, this is the best email I've read. Marketing loves it. One prospect goes, I love this email. It's amazing. But that's not what you're trying to do. High profile, C-levels, people, decision makers, you write them like 3,000 words, they respond two sentences. Hey, can you shorten this? Can you give me a few bullet points? What is this? Like they, they're just going to reject that. Um, the, the decision makers you want to get to, they don't necessarily answer cold email. They're not sitting around answering that. So you have to do something pretty radical to pattern interrupt to stick out. Yeah. So how do you keep some of that, that personalization, know that you're going to hit that pain, um, while also being scalable. Cause I mean, it's, we were trying to spend way too much time trying to find that personalization or what, what's going to get this person to actually be interested. And then that was hindering the scalability part. Um, I guess, how do you, how do you maintain that to be able to hit that problem that someone says, okay, you got, you're the solution to me, but also be able to send out, you know, mass, mass communications. Yeah. So it's not very scalable. If you research a ton, you get like analysis paralysis yep. you know some of these systems it can take you days of studying and applying all the principles i do relevance at scale so what i do is i take like if you had a thousand contacts break it up by vertical here's fintech here's manufacturing here's aerospace maybe you can do it by vertical maybe it's by persona here's a vp of marketing here's a vp of sales in an outreach or sales loft um, or seek you know a sales engagement platform break it into these buckets of 100 or 200 people and then make a message per persona that talks about social proof like we work with similar companies to get this outcome with specificity they had this challenge and here's the before after right like you know th this is like used in the exercise industry like p90x like before the workouts and after right so it's really critical 
that, that you use pain and gain, but you also profile where they were sitting before and then after, and then why it's differentiated and the social proof. So what I'm doing is something called relevance at scale. What I'm not trying to do is take all thousand, do a custom field for employee growth, custom field for connection in common, custom field. That's kind of generic personalization about personal factors. That's for Facebook. This is work related. This is like a specific type of work challenge that you solve and relating it to the stakeholder in that vertical. That's the way you can scale of relevance at scale. Um, so that's the way you can have maybe five different sequences running and each one has a different, um, it's blanket, but it's for those 200 people. So it's like you wrote to one person who's a VP marketing in fintech, and this product is exactly this. And when you focus on what the solution, the outcome is, they have that problem, the pain, they're sitting there trying to solve it, you interrupt them, and then you go to the, the problem that you're solving versus some gimmick of like a sports team or an alumni, or when you hyper-personalize and you're like, hey, I saw you got the award and you were rated, you know, Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year and 40 under 40, you know what they think? They think, ah, what's the catch? Why is this person trying so hard? And so it's what I call this is principal disinterest. When you show too much hunger, too much interest, and too much research, you look weak. You, you They swipe left. It's like you're a beta. Alphas want to be challenged with insight where they want relevancy or quick, succinct, get right to the point. Like you have one elevator ride with Mark Cuban, you have three floors. What do you say to him? Do you praise him on the Dallas Mavericks? Do you fawn over him about how cool he is on Shark Tank? Or realizing that he's a billionaire, do you present him with a concise business opportunity? Do you ask him, oh, how's your day? How's the weather? I mean, you're in an elevator with a billionaire. What do you yeah. do? Concise I always pose point. Yeah, just like, I mean, what is it? What can your marketing agency do for him that he can't get from the other 5,000 marketing agencies? You got to be ready. You got to think on your feet. So that's the way I construct email. There's no time. The same with a cold call. You have three seconds, one, 1,000, two, 1,000, three, 1,000, click. If I talk about myself, I'm dead. I have to get that person talking about themselves because then they love staying on the call. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. As soon as you open it up to that, everyone loves talking about themselves, especially those type A business owners, uh, execs, whatever it may be. So I guess what is the one question or the thing that you say on those cold, cold calls that gets someone to stay longer than that three seconds and just kind of start opening up? Are there certain questions you ask different demographics or do you have a go-to um, opening line for cold calls? It's a great question. And I tested about a thousand different things. And the one I found was if I call a VP of marketing, I say, who's in charge of your marketing or a VP of mobile, who's in charge of your mobile. And it was wild. Okay. One third of the time they say, I say, Hey, is this Bill Smith? They'd say, Oh, no, Bill's not at this extension. He left the company. So the data was bad 30% of the time. Number two, I'd ask them where they charge a mobile. And they said, um, uh, no, actually, I'm, I'm in charge of the actual web mobile, not the native app. That's Sarah, so call her. So I call my system route, ruin, multiply. So the first thing I do is I say their full name. And if I pronounce it right, you know, that kind of gets me points, especially the hard to pronounce last name. Then I just ask them who's in charge of the, of the thing I'm talking about. And most of the time they route me, but not me anymore. Says, and if they are in charge, they say I am. So I just start the call asking them what they're in charge of instead of saying the reason for my call or did I catch you at a bad time or how are you or everything that reminds them that I'm an interruption and I'm selling. I, I, I move the spotlight on them and they say, I am okay. That's interesting. And then it's like, you know, I'm calling from this company and I do this. How are you doing that? They talk about their existing solution. And then I do this crazy thing. I agree with them and validate. So I say, Oh, you're using our competitor. They're great. How's it working out for you? And I wait. 
And so I like agree with them. I listen to them. I hear them out. They start talking. I'm keeping them talking. And then they turn and they, there's like this polarity shift where they go, wait, what's this call? Who are you calling from? And the minute that they turn and take interest in me, now I'm not making a cold call. Now I have a person who's asking me what I'm doing and we're, we're, we're moving the other way. We're pulling, we're not pushing. And then I always use on the framework, I try to augment. I never try to rip out anything that anyone has. It's always a beachhead. Hey, keep that in place. Good job standing that up. Why don't you test us out alongside, multiply the effectiveness, augment the approach. Because so much in technology sales is a stack. They have 91 marketing solutions or, you know, 25 solutions in the tech stack. When you really break it down, I mean, they've got Slack and Salesforce and Sales Navigator and Zoom Info and Gong. And, but we're testing that. We've got this intent data provider and we're doing this thing. I mean, it's, it's nuts. So there's really no need to go, hey, rip that stuff out. It's like, well, you're investing in all that. Can we plug this in and make you more effective? I have this expression that I always use, which is buyers buy. It's one of my great secrets to selling. So if you see somebody buying a lot of sales tech and you're selling sales tech, they're probably going to test your tech too. But don't suggest they rip all that stuff out because they have SaaS contracts. They have binding long-term you know, annual commits. And so it's very hard for them to get out. I mean, you're talking about tech quite a bit and I can agree. There's, I mean, from a sales and even on the marketing side, I mean, tens of thousands of different tools, apps that can be used. Um, I guess what would your go-to tech stack look like? I mean, everything from, uh, you mentioned sales loft, gong. I mean, from the email automation, voicemail drops, cold calling. I mean, is there a, a sweet bundle of uh, tech stack that, that you, uh, like to recommend? I do. Um, you know, I've sold a lot of services too. And, um, obviously you need self hearing, healing CRM. So you need something like HubSpot or Salesforce, but you also need sales navigator. You need LinkedIn because this is hundreds of millions of people updating their own information. So it's critical from there. You, you have to be automating your emails and your calls. So you need at least a dialer and you need some kind of email automator. These are called sales engagement platforms or SEPs. And on the automation side for calling, it's called a parallel assisted dialer or a pad. Then you really need a data source. You need emails and phone numbers and usually a few of them, which so things like lead IQ, zoom info, uh, Lucia, sales, Intel, Slintel. I mean, there's so many different ones. And then because we're all remote, so you can record your own calls and your manager can understand what you're doing. You need like a gong or a chorus. And there's things like, you know, chat bots. You can sit on the front of the site with a, a drift, uh, something like that. And then it just goes and goes. One of the biggest things is, is account scoring, like intent data, stuff like Bombora and Sixth Sense and White Rabbit, some of these things. Because uh, in big verticals, when you have 5,000 accounts in your total addressable market, how do you even figure out the top 200 you should do? You need tech like a Quantcast model where it can predictively figure out in your CRM or crunching data signals on where you should start. You know, so you can do a search in Sales Navigator, put these thousand accounts into this one of these platforms, and it can tell you using big data analytics, uh, predictive analytics, you know, machine learning algorithms. Hey, for some reason, these are the first 200 to start on. That's the next frontier. So in my book, I profile a lot of these stacks. I have like an essential stack like you just answered, and then I have the really crazy one where there's like 40 different techs. Uh, 15% of high growth companies are spending 2,000 a month or more per rep. Just on, on the tech stack. stack? Yeah, and that's going to go up. Like the, the Navy SEAL companies, some of these big tech companies that go crazy with this, are going to be spending 5000 a month per rep on the tech stack. But that's going to be kicking off you know, millions of dollars additionally oh, yeah. in pipe velocities. I mean, when you can do 200 dials in an hour or two and talk to 20 people, that's, that's like five days worth of work. 
<laughs> it's it, depending on the connect rates. If you're an enterprise, you can do a hundred dials in an eight hour day and, and talk to two people. So, and I, I mean, I, the go emails and all that, I I'm seeing it hit me more. And, and I mean, as tech, the tech stack, uh, kind of increases and the accessibility, um, you know, is there and more sales organizations are doing this, I guess, at what point, are the people receiving these types of emails and everything going to start putting blinders up? Cause it's, it's a good old fashioned, it starts working, everyone else starts doing it, it gets noticed. And now it, you got blinders on, you know, you mentioned you're, you're uh, big on the, the future of, of all of this. I guess at what point are blinders going to be put up and then what does the next step look like in all this? Yeah. So the blinders have already been put up. I was doing this stuff at scale in 2017. That's five years ago. I was doing a million emails. Now that's for a hundred clients, 50 a day for reps. So it's actually not that high volume, all personalization across technographic, firmographic, psychographic, demographic, using very sophisticated systems five years ago. We have reached a point where these companies are going to be acquired by the big marketing clouds. Um, companies like Salesloft and Outreach are becoming extremely popular. It's becoming, it's kind of crossing the chasm where it's a best practice. There's still a lot of gaps in getting field sellers, classic field sellers are now inside to use automation. But the more and more people that embrace the phone and email automation, the more calls and emails are made. Oddly, not that many people cold call. So the real gap is if you start picking up a phone at all, you're going to have an edge. Just do this. Put your phone number out there and see how many people call you. You really don't get that many cold calls. I talked to like the number 10 at Marketo and he's like, he gets no calls, none. So, you know, my biggest advantage has been being a proponent of the phone and going hard on the phone. I've worked in industries where literally the companies said, you know, there's some millennials here, Gen Z, they hate the phone calls, don't use the phone. I get on the phone, I set records immediately. It doesn't even matter if I'm sequencing because even the sequencing, all the emails I'm sending you, people just sit there and they kind of go, oh, I'm just not going to respond. But then when you start getting in their voicemail and calling them up, oh, you're looking at my LinkedIn, you open seven times, that's where you stick out and you differentiate because you're humanized because it's the tonality and you're, you're coming through. Um, ultimately, though, we're going to have a problem, right? We're going to have so much email hitting these executives that they're going to pull off of social media. And that's where we see micro communities like paid Slack channels, things like clubhouse. There's going to be these micro communities also referrals. I don't even remember how I met you, Dustin, but I think it was through a friend. Maybe you just started following me on LinkedIn. How did you find me? That's a good question. I, I believe it was on, on LinkedIn. So you just found me on a search or was I introduced through one of your networks? I'm trying to think back. Uh, Cause we have a couple different ways that we kind of reach out and identify uh, who we uh, would like to bring on, but I think it is through mutual connections. Okay. So that is the future because that can't be faked by machines and AI, right? Like if you and I both actually know Max Altschuler or I was introduced to you by the VP of sales at this high growth company, I'll remember that connection. What it really comes down to then is, you know, there's some cool models like co-sell is a cool idea where like I'm selling to IT and you're another seller selling to IT and we kind of share our contact pool. But I think warm referrals and scaling referrals is actually after, you know, 300 hours of research from my book, Tech Powered Sales, uh, that was the, the finding. Because if I get so good that my emails pass the Turing test and I can hyper-personalize and you read the email and you're like, wow, you can't tell a machine wrote it. Eventually the Federal Trade Commission just says, okay, that email you just sent to Dustin, it needs to say sent by Justin Michaels AI. It needs a, like a warning label <laughs> so you know that it came from a machine. So we're applying the wrong problem. What we need to be able to do is make these, first of all, the relevance has to increase. You know, you need to be getting more products and services that could actually help you. Just kind of on Amazon, it's like the exact running shoe, the exact books you like. It's like improving advertising. So 
it becomes more personal to you, not because it's like it's even more about your sports team. No, it's even more about something that can help you in your marketing agency. And then it has to become more curated through referrals and through trusted sources so that you know, like, hey, Dustin, three of your friends are hiring this consultant or three of your friends have this vendor in the stack. You should check it out. Okay, so if you know that it solves your work pain and some of your friends who you actually trust use it, how much more likely are you to take the meeting? Right now, you have no idea. And the salesperson could just be lying. I mean, you don't know. One of the reasons Sales Navigator does so well as a product is you know everyone's using it. (laughs) You know everyone's on LinkedIn doing sales. You're like, yeah, I should look at that. And, you know, Zoom Info also, it's like, okay, I know I do need to get a phone number and email. It makes sense. I should look at this thing. It's a foregone conclusion. How about Salesforce CRM? Everybody's using that. I better check it out. With all these new companies, these disruptive SaaS products and new marketing agency, a consultant, there's no way to build the trust or know what's going on. So that's why I think like also star ratings like G2 Crowd and Captera, the stuff Todd Capone is working on. Now, what if I come to you and I say, hey, my product's a 4.2 star. That's strange. Shouldn't I have all five star products? vulnerability, transparency, showing what's potentially wrong with it, how it might not be a fit, you know, having some uncertainty when you approach processing, a lack of confidence that can sell. Because when you, when you advise your own family and friends, you're not like, Hey, there's a stock you should buy. It'll hundred percent go up. You're like, it could be a good investment. It could be people you actually care about. You're never certain with. It's weird, right? Salespeople miss this all the time. No, I, I love all that. I mean, the psychological aspect is is so fascinating. And that it's funny you mentioned the uh, the referral hot leads. That's something that we're trying to work on from a paid media and advertising perspective. Is everyone always says, "I don't need digital marketing." Word of mouth has has been great. And we're trying to figure out how to uh, use digital marketing to create that word of mouth at scale. Um, use a couple different social platforms and and whatnot. So definitely definitely a line there. And I mean, as you mentioned, more and more emails are going out. I think uh, all these email clients are trying to figure out how to beef up their spam filters and whatnot. Um, you mentioned a couple of tips on on how to not hit those spam filters, but this is something I think a lot of, especially B2B businesses struggle with is sending out too many emails or too lengthy and, and have the, the, the deliverability issue. Um, what are some best practices or some tips that you have there on, on how people can actually reach more inboxes? We have the tech to find the, the contact emails. We have the awesome emails sequences, but at the end of the day, if it's not getting in front of eyes, it's not doing anything. All right. The thing to remember is the email cap has come down to 150. So you can't really send more than 150 emails per day. And you have to warm that up slowly. 25, 25, 50, 75. People don't realize this. They get outreach and they go, wow, the cap's a thousand. They send 500. Boom, deprecation. You have to make sure that your sender score is good. So your DKIM, your SPIF, and your DMARC, which are these crazy things, ask your IT about it. If you send too many too fast with bad email addresses, you will get deprecated. If you need to do a lot more volume than that, you have to have separate aliases. So, you know, in your, in your sales engagement platform, you need, you know, j.michael at jmc.com and justin at jmc.com and then warm those to 150 per day. That's to get to 300 per day. Then you got to ask yourself, if you're sending 300 emails per day, which is, what is that, 9,000 emails per month? I mean, is, do you really need to be at that scale? Are you really personalized enough? Shouldn't you be able to hit what you want with 50 emails per day? Get your data human verified, pre-call the phone numbers, test the IP address, get your email address to 98% accuracy. So there's actually a lot of investment and time that can be done in the data before you even send. The more accurate your emails are, the better you're received as a domain in the sender score. So this is actually just a, it's a battle of technical revenue operations, which I talk about. Before you even worry about the message and the sequence and the personas, making sure that your sender score is good and that your targets are accurate 
right? Measure twice, uh, cut once. So I think it might be the wrong question. I think getting to this mega scale was, was the goal. I've heard of teams like, oh, we still, we sent 30,000 emails last week. How many meetings you get? We didn't get any meetings. <laughs> okay. I go in with lead IQ and I spend two hours and get three meetings and they don't understand how, how is that possible? Well, my email was delivered 98%. I called through the numbers and I reached people's voicemails. I left voicemails and it was human. I, I looked at their LinkedIn and I just manually did this work. So what does it teach us that we're really just amplifying garbage, you know, garbage in garbage out guy, guy go. You don't want to start power emailing or power calling until you've tested AB tested your templates and your scripts and done this one at a time. So, you know, you want to spot test your, your messaging, your sales story, your social proof, your use cases, and once you've got it working well on a small batch, you've sent a hundred emails manually. Look at the responses. You've made a hundred dials to cell phones. Look at the responses, then make the investments in amplifications of that strategy. That's a lot of what my consulting work focuses on. That's uh, that's the hard thing right there. That's the rub. Nope. That, and that makes sense. And, uh, the, you know, you do a lot of coaching, uh, obviously work with quite a few businesses and from the sound of it, you know, you're, you're big on the data and, and analytics side of things, uh, which I absolutely appreciate. So, I mean, as you've worked with uh, quite a few businesses, I guess, are there any commonalities in, in missteps or I guess opportunities that, uh, you know, most businesses have, is there a common problem or, or thing that just one little tweak and all of a sudden it's off to the races? The biggest issue is that sale, uh, B2B salespeople are sending email like marketing. They have very long expository emails that are very stiff and formal. Um, they're sending an email looking automated. They send email that makes it look like it's a machine and they don't realize that. Um, they're using phone frameworks, if they're calling it all, that focuses on themselves. So they're basically have completely ineffective phone programs. Um, the there's not enough focus on the, the email accuracy. They're using data systems that are 30% off. So they send, they go, they send a hundred emails and they're like, well, here's my open rate and here's my reply rate. And here's my conversion rate. And it's like, that's not your open rate. You have 30 bad emails on a hundred. So you're doing a seven, you're not sending a hundred emails. You're sending 70. We're not even playing with a full deck of cards here to do the measurement. Let's send this on a like 98% working email addresses then let's kill these spammy links and the spam address and these imagery, like, you know, come to our conference, big picture in the thing, right? So, so they, they, they've messed up the data and messed up the verbiage and they're failing before they even began. Or I, I, sh I show up in their sender scores, you know, through the basement. I mean, they're getting, you know, 5% open rate. I've even opened sequences where it's zero, nothing sent. And we're talking about messaging. I'm like, well, why are we talking about messaging? You can't even deliver an email right now. We have a technical problem. You know, so yeah, um, I think, uh, the biggest thing I'm dealing with is uh, a lot of the technical operations. It's sales operations problems, revenue operation problems. A lot of these little SaaS teams have not had the time to invest in teams. So here's, here's the irony, right? Here's the paradox. You need to hire more experienced people to do your opening. You need to invest more in the tech. You need training on the tech and then training on sales. It's like, wow, that's really expensive, Justin. It's like, yep. It's so much more investment than what you're comfortable with. And I work with CEOs on this. It's not about, oh, what's the lowest base I can get an SDR? Then I'll just plug in this, yep. you know, sequencer. And then no, that's, that's, 
that's how you blow it up and go wrong. <laughs> it's actually like, it's, it's just, you know, lighting the, the business on fire. You, you need better people. It's the sharpest tip of the spear, the first impression people that are subject matter experts that are very skilled in outbound and hunting and the initial conversations, people that understand band and medic and discovery and qualification people, you know, this is why the full cycle seller is back because, you know, these very experienced people that can close the deal. There's so many lessons from closing that reflect and opening with high powered stakeholders, peaking interest, diagnosing pain, generating insight, peeling the onion and probing with like next order level of questions. So if you have young folks, it's all good. You just need a ton of training. And when you get them the whiz bang tool, you need to train them on the tool. And then you need to train them in general on how to sell and not just how to be SDRs, how to do a play the full sport. And I'm not just plugging myself because I provide some of these services is actually like how I became great at this stuff myself in the field. Um, you know, I didn't have a lot of training all the time, but I have been through Sandler and Miller Hyman and challenger and, that stuff's been transformational and I really appreciate the companies that made the investment. I love it. And I think, uh, one thing I, I love is how yeah, it's expensive, but at the, at the end of the day, it's expensive not to make that investment. I mean, it's uh, the opportunity cost of, of not, not investing into uh, people, the tech, the training and all that. It's actually more expensive in, in lost revenue or missed opportunity, uh, leaving stuff on the table. Um, and so kind of what you're alluding to is, I mean, we've had these discussions internally. Do you have an SDR that's opening and then set up the appointment for them the closer to come in, it sounds like it's more of someone that kind of does it all rather than uh, creating that labor division. Is that that correct? Or So there's two themes. One is subspecialization and one is consolidation. Luckily for the CFO, a lot of the tech platforms are two, three, four, five solutions wrapped into a single solution. Ring DNA is a good example. It does email sequences. It has data. It has forecasting. It has gui guided selling. It has you know listening. There's there's really cool platforms like that's one. Revenue Grid is one. There's ones that are just consolidating a ton. You can see new features coming out from SalesLoft, from um, Xan, from Outreach. They're bundling in, you know, and then you have Gong going in a direction with not just um, listening to calls, but predictive for predicting based what you're hearing in the calls, what's going to close. So the good idea, the good news is that solutions are going to go from point solutions to these converged stacks. Number two, subspecialization means it's not just SDRs and AEs, it's more like Moneyball. You know, this SDR is going to also work on data hygiene and we're going to teach them data science. This SDR is more going to work on, you know, content strategy and YouTube and demand gen and maybe running Marketo. So you're going to have people that are even more specialized across the funnel and, you know, these hybrids and different roles because everyone's kind of inside now. Um, you have to be thinking of a human being as like a unique genius, like 70% of what they do can be automated. So let's automate out all the manual stuff like that's not high value and let's get them in front of more customers, uh, more face-to-face -face interaction, move them lower in the funnel. What can we automate? What can we scale? And where can we optimize the true quality of the human AI, uh, the human's ability to be working with customers? That's what leaders should be asking themselves. Um, predictable revenue in the SDRA model is a great place to start, but break it out even further. What, what is this person gifted at? If they have aptitude, train them. If they're technically uh, skilled, get them programming lessons. Teach them R or SQL or, you know, some advanced skills, data science, Tableau, right? Um, I, I just think it's crazy. Like someone comes out of Stanford and they <laughs> studied applied statistics and they've got all this training and skill. We put them in a, you know, a role that's $3 an hour, <laughs> sitting there clicking a button. Well, it doesn't make any sense to me. So 
that's, that's why I think everyone should be thinking about unlocking the human capabilities by making sure humans are selling more. And that's why the Zoom stuff is really risky. It's like, oh, well, I've got six Zooms today. That's a fail. If you're a new business hunter, you should be getting on your phone. Seven-minute bursts, mainly outbound phone calls, maybe some demos and discovering Zooms, but you shouldn't be Zoom slammed if you're a new business hunter. That's a marketing person. That's okay. But if you're in back-to-back Zooms on half-hour blocks, I just need a cell phone. I'm going to call 50 people. I'm going to have all sorts of random conversations. I'm going to call all my opportunities. I'm going to call and have all these ad hoc conversations. That's selling. It's a very dynamic, it's, it's action-oriented verb. Yeah, I love it. I mean, going back to invest back into the people, the, the, the tech and, and whatnot. Um, and I, I love how much you help people grow their, their new revenue. I think that's the biggest uh, struggle for, for every business. Um, you know, they come to you with really three, six-month plans. Um, and that being said, I mean, what are, what are some of your goals? I mean, talk a lot about helping other businesses out, I guess. What are some of your business goals in the, the near future? I think everyone gets caught up in the super long term. And as we know from this last year, things can change within a day or two. So what are some things that you're working on to grow your business? Yeah, for me, it's really about focus. The power of a brand is inversely proportional to its scope, is what Al Reese said, the father of Fortune 500 branding in his book, The 22 Immutable Laws of, of Marketing and Branding. It was a very powerful book. So for me, I'm really focused on this concept of salesborgs.ai. My website will be releasing soon in my Discord server, which is the fact that I'm trying to really focus on technology quotient and TQ because I can teach you all the platforms and how to power use them today. Those are going to be acquired and gone in two years. We can't even get the skills for what we'll need in five. But technology quotient itself is something you can improve. It's like technical aptitude. It's being curious, technically curious, getting your hands dirty, like looking at the online universities, seeing what the features are and the buttons, power using your platforms, because that's a that's a competitive advantage. So I'm focused on like really building a brand. It's less about Justin Michael and more about creating sales boards, which are these empowered sellers that are leveraging automation for good. And that's kind of the theme of my book and the theme of where my consulting is going on the B2B side. Um, yeah, I've, I've been working a lot training teams and, you know, I work on retainer and I do a lot of revenue operations and I think my sales consulting is unique in that I'm approaching learning how to learn. I'm training people in kind of igniting the spark for them to get excited about these platforms. Then they go on and become directors of sales and VPs of sales, but then they have almost a sales operations slant to how they run teams. It's more data driven and technology driven. And so I think that's a unique uh, niche I have in this industry where there's, you know, 5,000 people like me. That's exciting. Can't wait to see that, that website launch. I'll definitely follow it. And, uh, like I said, we're, we're always trying to work on the biz dev and it's uh, become more aggressive here recently. So there's been lots uncovered here that kind of the light bulb went off. Um, and you know, like I said, we're working on it. Many businesses are trying to work on biz dev as we kind of, kind of wrap up, I guess, what is one big piece of advice or takeaway that you'd have for any business, I know you work a lot with enterprise and, and uh, Fortune 500 and whatnot, but for maybe a small business or medium-sized business that's really looking to get more aggressive on their biz, business development, um, I guess what's one big piece of advice that you'd have for them? It's be less technology avoidant. Like I call this the MacGyver stack. Maybe listening to this and thinking, oh, I can't afford that. I don't have all that tech. It's not true. Just to get on this Zoom call, you had to have Gmail. You, had to, you have a LinkedIn. You have all these social media channels. You have all this digital stuff embrace it learn about it follow people like um it's the future we can't stop the technical revolution right so just 
you know, it's like Excel, like who really wants to use Excel more than 5%. I had a situation where I had to do operations in Costa Rica, the Philippines and manage these budgets of a hundred thousand. And I, I became very proficient in Excel, pivot tables, macros, all this stuff. Cause I had to, but it was really crazy when I had to, how good I got the technology. Um, you know, open your mind up to using the technology you have and you'll be surprised how much more tech and digital elements you actually have. That's even free that you're not really fully using, utilizing, even leveraging like social selling and LinkedIn and building a brand. Um, but doing it in a way that's, that's powerful and not cheesy. Uh, that that's my main message. You know, I did that and that became the differentiator for me and SAS. I embraced these platforms and did automations. And the big thing too, is use the phone really make phone the temple of your strategy because people talk a lot about it, but it's just not being done. It's, it's more effective than ever because everyone's like really pushing hard on LinkedIn and pushing hard in the email. So if you're the one who's like leaving the voicemail, you will stand out. This is something every business owner can do. There's 30 million small business owners. You can take these tips today without spending a dime. We've recently dove into the voicemail drops and whatnot. Um, and I mean, it's not as personalized, but I mean, immediately just having that phone ring, it's we're seeing, yeah, six, seven, eight, ten. 10. The amount of calls that, that come back in are uh, um, amazing. And so it's already already speaking volumes to uh, just get on the phones and we're figuring out how to how to get that that uh, into our our uh, strategy a bit more. Um, but this has been great. I think there's a lot, a lot of insight that a lot of businesses uh, can take away from this. But I, I really do appreciate your time and uh, look forward to, uh, to seeing your growth. Thanks, Dustin. Thanks again. Nice Thank to meet you. you.